All right, you want to turn with me to Matthew 11? We are continuing on in our Holy Spirit series, and this is number nine. And so we've begun the Holy Spirit series by looking at the Holy Spirit as God in person. So who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. It's God himself. And then we looked at the Holy Spirit as God's personal presence in our lives. So we see in Ephesians 1.13, when we, the point of salvation, God gives us the Holy Spirit. It's a seal in our hearts, in our lives. God impresses himself upon us, never to be taken away from us, but always with us. But not only that, but God also not only seals us with his spirit, but then we see in Ephesians 5.18, God fills us with his spirit. So God fills us with his spirit. He gives us more of himself. He empowers us to live for him, do his works. And then we see also a chain, we are changed by the spirit. When God comes and invades our lives and fills us with his spirit, things can't be the same. We just don't go on life as usual. Our lives look radically different than they ever have before because Almighty God has filled our lives. Last week we looked at speaking by the Spirit and the, the gift of tongues and prophecy. And it's so important for us as a church to understand and experience the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst. We don't want to be a church that is just like a program-driven church where we've got, you know, teams for everything and a program for every possible thing. And so that way, if I'm not on that team, I don't have to do it. Or if I'm not on this serving committee or whatever it may be, I don't have to necessarily do that. We want to be a people of God who are open to the work of the Spirit. So whatever God tells us to do, we say, yes, Lord. Whether it be greeting people as they come through the door, whether it be inviting them out for coffee afterwards or inviting over to your house, it's not someone else's responsibility. It's all of ours. As the body of Christ, this is all of our responsibility to live this way. And this morning, we are going to look at the work of God in miracles and particularly healing. But before we do that, so often in, in our lives, we think about these miracles, healing. We see, the, we see the life and the work of Christ, and we see these miracles and these things happen. We think, oh, man, this is amazing. How can we don't see these things really happening around us today? As I thought about this this week, and as I was talking with my cousin this week, I dialogued with him about this message. He just brought to mind, he said, you know what? The fact that there is anybody sitting in your church on a Sunday morning is a miracle. It's a miracle. It's a work of God. When we think about Almighty God bringing someone from death into life, it is a miracle of God. We read Ephesians 2 and it talks about we were, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. And now by God's mercy and grace brings us to new life in Jesus Christ. It is an unbelievable miracle that happens in our lives. It is the greatest miracle we can possibly experience in our life. This is the greatest miracle. So when we think about each one of our lives being affected and changed by Almighty God, when we were once dead to his, his, his ways in our life, we were dead, we were unable to respond to God, we were unable to please God with our lives, and God yet gives us his spirit 
and brings us from death into life. It's the greatest miracle. And so as we show up on a Sunday morning and there are other people here in our midst who are praising and worshiping the Lord, calling upon the name of the Lord, that is a miracle. That is a work of God. We should show up to church on a Sunday morning and say, God, I can't believe that not only have you saved me and redeemed my life and brought me out of the pit and have become my portion in my life, but you've done that all over the place. And to all these people sitting here, and not only that, but millions of people across the world have been affected by the power of God. That is a miracle. That's the greatest miracle we could ever experience is new birth, new life in Jesus Christ. And so as we talk about something like healing, a miracle, we have to understand it's against the backdrop of what God has already done in our lives. God's already brought us to new life. When we put our, our faith in Jesus Christ, that by His grace, He died on the cross for our sins, He says He does a new work and, and brings our dead heart to life again. That is a miracle. It is a miracle of God. And compared to that, we got nothing. We need to celebrate that every single day. That miracle doesn't just affect a point in time where we came to know Jesus Christ at salvation, it affects us every single day. We wake up knowing that God loves us and that our sins have been paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. And we don't earn His favor. He gives it to us lavishly by His grace. That is a miracle we can celebrate every single day. That is the work of God in our midst. We should come to church on a Sunday morning Say, God, I cannot believe that you have saved me to what my life was like. You have brought me to new life in Jesus Christ. I should be amazed by that. That should fuel worship. That should affect me every single day. We talk about healing. We may say, well, I've never seen that in my life. I've never seen real miracles in my life. The fact that you know Jesus and that you're not spending, you will not spend eternity in hell should be a miracle for us to say, this is the miracle beyond all miracles. Nothing can compare to that. It is amazing what God has done. He's given us new heart and desires and filled us with His Spirit. That's a miracle. So I want us to understand that as we talk about these things, it's against that backdrop of us experiencing that miracle, of looking around and saying there's been lives by the, by the supernatural work of God that have been transformed and changed for all eternity. So we see miracles every single day. Look around this room. It's full of miracles, unbelievable miracles. And so as, against that backdrop, we talk about healing. Let's turn to Matthew 11. And this is, we're going to read a dialogue between Jesus and John the Baptist's disciples. I just want to take a moment and pray and ask the Lord to help us as we look through this text. So Lord, we thank you this morning, God, for new life, that you have brought us from death into life, that you don't count our sins against us. But Lord, by your grace, we have received your mercy, your salvation. God, that you took hold of us from before the beginning of time. And you knew us and called us by name. 
So Lord, we thank you for that. It is a miracle. God, we experience the benefits of it every single day of our lives. And we will experience it for all of eternity. So Lord, thank you. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Let your word bear fruit in our lives. God, I pray that we'd receive your word with faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew, Matthew 11, verses 1 through 6. And again, this is John the Baptist sending his disciples to talk to Jesus. And we're going to read a little bit. John the Baptist probably had a little different understanding of what he thought God was going to do when he showed up on earth. So we read this. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John, John the Baptist, heard in prison about these deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you have heard, what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. If you think about John the Baptist baptizing Jesus in the river, seeing the dove descend upon Jesus, hearing the audible voice of God say, This is my son. Surely in his mind from that point on, he thought, This has to be the Christ, this has to be the Messiah. But here he is sitting in prison, eventually waiting his execution. You can only imagine the thoughts that are running through his head. I thought this was going to be a little different. How come this is turning out this way? Surely if this is the Christ, the guy who is the forerunner for him would not be sitting in prison. As we read in Matthew 3, we see what John the Baptist understanding of what the coming Messiah was going to be. And so I want to read for us because this gives us an understanding of why John was asking him these questions. Matthew 3, verses 7 through 12. This is what John the Baptist says. But when the Pharisees, but when they saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, this is John the Baptist, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John was expecting something a little different from what Jesus said the kingdom of God is going to look like. So you can see he's expecting wrath 
unquenchable fire, axe being laid to the root of the tree. And what does Jesus say is the sign of the kingdom of God coming? It's the poor being preached to. It's the lame being healed. It's the blind receiving sight. It's the things that he didn't think was going was gonna to look like. He didn't, when he said to these Pharisees, he didn't say to them, hey, look, the kingdom of God's coming. The blind will receive their sight. He says, no, the unquenchable fire is going to come. It's going to burn you up. Take care of business. It's going to clean house. But that's not what Jesus says the kingdom of God is like. He says, look, I am bringing the kingdom, but it doesn't look like what you think it's going to look like. I'm bringing the kingdom of God. It's preaching the good news to the poor and the broken and the outcast. He says, that is the kingdom that he's bringing. He says, here's how you know I'm in your midst, that these things are happening. That's how you know that Christ is in your midst. Now, if we look at Hebrews 2, you don't have to turn there. But I just want to look at this quickly because I believe this, for us, gives us an idea of what Jesus was talking about. It said, here's what Hebrews 2, 3, and 4 say. It says, salvation was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. So here the salvation is being preached and it's being validated by Almighty God because it's being backed up by power. And there's supernatural things happening in your midst that can't just be explained humanly or naturally. This is a work of God. God is doing some powerful things. It's validating the work and the words that are being said. But what I want to look at quickly is the fact that these miracles weren't just Jesus' example or Jesus' work on the earth, but he then gives it to his disciples and says, go and do likewise. I'm going to give you some work to do. And your words will be validated by the power of God as well. Matthew 10, it says, you don't have to turn there. Matthew 10 says, and he called his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out to heal every disease and every action, affliction. So that's when the disciples were with Christ, and now a few verses in Acts where we see these are after Christ has ascended into heaven. Jesus gives them the same power and authority. Acts five twelve. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Acts eight thirteen. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed. He was amazed. Acts 19. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. This is the work of Jesus' disciples following in his footsteps bringing the power of God to people. But there's a kingdom tension because even though what John said is true, what John the Baptist said and confessed is true, that Christ does come. And there will be a moment in time when, when the threshing floor is cleared and God separates those who belong to him from those who do not belong to him. 
So there's this tension here because what Jesus said is also true. That the kingdom coming, when Christ explains his manners, people being healed, the good news is preached to the poor. There's power, there's miracles. George Eldon Ladd writes this in the Gospel of the Kingdom. He says, The kingdom of God belongs to the future. He's talking about the judgment that John the Baptist was expecting. And yet the blessings of the kingdom of God have entered into the present age to deliver men from bondage to Satan and to sin. The power of God comes to free us from the power of Satan and sin. And just like any good gift that God gives his people, there's always the potential to run after and chase the gift. So God gives good gifts to his people, but the potential for us can be we make an idol out of these gifts, where these gifts become the thing that we seek and not God himself. God doesn't want us just seeking the gift or just the blessings we get from God. God wants us to seek him. God wants us to know him. He doesn't want us just to know a blessing. He wants us to know him. And so these blessings, these miracles that we see are just to draw us back to Christ. They're to point us back to Christ. All these things are for us to bring us back to Christ Jesus. And the proper expectation of the power of God's kingdom are here and now. We believe that God can do these things in our midst. Just like we see in the Bible, we believe God is still able to bring healing still able to bring wholeness, still able to touch people right where they're at. And admittedly, we don't see all these public miracles, but yet, like I said from the very beginning, the fact that people come to know Jesus Christ at all is an absolute miracle. It is the greatest miracle that we look around and see people that have come to know Jesus Christ. So, We'll look at a couple things that spirit-empowered ministry is a ministry of compassion, prayer, and faith. I want to look at this because as we see these things, it's not just healing for the sake of healing, but it's done out of compassion. That when Jesus Christ walked the earth and brought, brought miracles and healing to people, it was done with compassion, with love. It wasn't just a miracle for the sake of a miracle. It was a revelation of God's care and love for people. And we see that in Psalms 103. We read this in Psalm 103, and we're just going to read through this quickly. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. 
as far as the east is from the west. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. And as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. We can see compassion is wrapped in the very nature of who God is. It's wrapped in com- compassion. And the gospel for us is good news because Jesus Christ brings this compassion to us, meets us at the cross. We sang about that this morning. Jesus Christ meets us right where we are at in compassion. Terry Bostic is going to come up. Terry has a testimony of God's compassion and care for his life, what God has done. Terry is a member over at Cross Point Church in Crown Point. And uh, what I love about Terry is that when he talks about Jesus, he can't help but be affected and he cries. And I love that about him. God has done a work in this guy's life that is real and genuine and transformational. So Terry's going to share with us some of the things that God has done in his life. Now God has impacted him with God's compassion and care. Taking off my shoe. Don't worry, I won't throw it at you. But uh, I was supposed to have a big boot, you know, as kind of a visual aid, you know, to what happened to me. But um, I grew up an angry guy. Um, I got saved a little later uh, in life, you know. I I was 25 or 26. And um, I... um, wasn't long after I got saved, God just started expanding the compassion and the love in my heart for people, especially those who are sick, um, emotionally wounded, you know, um, and to the point to where he would put people on my heart and I would go to bed praying for them. I would wake up and I would pray for them. Sometimes people I barely knew and the Lord would just show me things in the spirit that I needed to pray for. And it would almost consume me to the point, you know. And it was the Lord, you know, because I was young in my faith. I didn't know that, you know. And at the time, the church we were going to, a woman we knew uh, got sick. And uh, she had had cancer, had triplets. And um, she began to get more ill and more ill. And uh, she had some surgeries. And it finally moved in to her lungs. She had had breast cancer. And the doctor said, hey, look, you know, uh, once this type of cancer moves into your lungs, you know, you should probably start about, you know, thinking about tying up some loose ends, you know, get your things in order. And when uh, I got word of that, you know, it kind of shook me a little bit. But then um, as I was reading uh, my scripture, you know, I remembered, oh, it says, you know, that if anybody among you is sick, you know, to gather the elders, go in faith, anoint them oil, pray over them, and they'll be healed, you know. So I went to a friend of mine who was an elder at the time at the church, and I said, hey, did you guys do this? And he's like, well, uh, yeah, I've gone over there, and I think pastor's gone, and one of the other. I'm like, no, 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 no. Did you guys, like, all gather, you know, and like, gather around her and, and anoint her in oil and pray over her. And uh, he was like, no, I don't think we have, you know. And and then, you know, I, 
See, when I read this book as a new believer, I believed in the truth. I didn't, I was, I didn't grow up church, so I didn't know that there was doctrine that, that would contradict what Jesus said we would do. See, because when I read this book, it said, like my, my beloved Jesus who pulled me from the pit and saved me, said, I got to go because it's best for me to leave you. So I could send one back. And, and when you receive the Holy Spirit, that you guys are going to do greater things than I did. And so we went. And uh, a friend of mine had uh, called me first thing in the morning. He was a deacon. And he says, look, you know, I don't know if you believe this way. He said, but uh, Lord's put Cindy on my heart to pray for. And while praying for her, he gave me your name. And I don't know if you believe this way, but I'd like you to come with. I just feel the Lord wants you to come. And there was complete silence on my end of the phone because I was so choked up. I couldn't breathe. And all of a sudden he breaks in. Well, that's okay. You don't have to come if you don't want to. You know, I think he thought I was like, what are you nuts? You know, and, uh. But I couldn't believe, you know, I mean, it was hitting me how, how real the Lord was over this situation, you know, and how his hand was so heavy over it. And um, so I said, sure, Dave, I'll go with. I've never done this kind of thing before, but I'll go with. So we went and we talked to her and her husband. We anointed her with oil and we prayed. And uh See, when I grew up, I was an angry guy, and I would never cry. You could crack me in the kneecaps with a bat. I wouldn't cry. But now that the Lord's got a hold of me, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I cry, especially when I tell his work, you know. Um, so we got there, you know, and so that was on Tuesday. She'd already had scans. Um, Thursday, they did some deeper scans of her lungs to decide how they were going to attack it. And it was gone. The cancer was completely gone from her. And it was probably maybe two, three years later, cancer came back, though. And it was in her brain. And um, she struggled on and off with that for a bunch of years. And um, earlier this year, we lost my friend Cindy. And it began to plant doubt in my head. Because during, in between that time where she died, we had gone and prayed for other people and they got well. And sometimes we would pray for people and they didn't get well at all. And I didn't know how to deal with it in my heart. How to reconcile a loving God, you know, and the things he put on my heart. And it hurt. Every time I opened myself up to say, okay, God, use me in this capacity. You know, I would sometimes when they would, you know, when people would get worse or pass away, it hurt. But that is a relationship. It's two ways. And if I close that up in my heart, God would never be able to use that again. So it planted doubt in my head. And that's what I started to do. I became afraid to pray for people who were sick, including when she was re-diagnosed with, with brain cancer. I was too afraid to go back and pray for her. 
Last July, I uh, sprained my ankle severely. Kind of kicked me out of work for a little bit. And um, it was kind of interesting what happened. You know, I'm a locksmith, and we were moving a safe, and about a 6,000-pound safe, and started sliding out into the street where this busload of children were coming along, and I dove in. No, that's not how it happened. Come on. I was playing tag with my kids, you know. It was my son's birthday party. We were out playing tag, and I stepped in a hole. Fell over like a fat old guy. Help, I can't get up. And, uh, yeah, man, I just blew it out, you know. And uh, I went to this doctor. Uh, she's, you know, her name's kind of obscure. You guys might know her, Dr. Karen Leitzel. I don't know if any of you happen to know her, but she's a really good doctor. Anyway, uh, took me in, and um, she checked me out, and she's like, yeah, this is pretty bad, you know. So you need to wear this boot. So I had this huge boot on my foot, you know, and on crutches. And my wife's driving me back and forth to work. It was rough, you know. It wasn't fun. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, as it com- continued to progress, you know, we're on week four and it's not getting any better. And she finally looks at me at like week five and she's like, look, you need to go get an MRI. This thing isn't healing. I'm afraid that you've partially torn a ligament and a tendon because of the way my ankle was snapping and crackling and the way it was moving. She's like, I could see it jumping around, you know. I'm like, all right. So scheduled to do the MRI. It was on a Saturday, went in. They decided that uh, I needed to hold my foot in the most uncomfortable situation you can imagine. And the lady continued to tell me, you have to put it that way. And I said, but it hurts. No, 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 you have to hold it. So I was holding it. Well, have you ever been under strain? What happens to your body? It starts shaking. So my leg is doing one of these, like, you know, like a dog when you find that good spot to scratch, you know? And she's like, you have to hold still for the MRI. I'm like, yeah, I know that. This hurts. I can't hold it this way, you know? It was just extremely painful. And uh, later on uh, that afternoon, we had planned to go to uh, a conference um, at a church in Valparaiso. And uh, we were going to hear from a lady who just, you know, wanted to pray over um, youth leaders and, you know, the youth and anybody, you know, who's involved with youth ministry and uh, tell a little bit of her testimony. And while we were there, I walk in with my big boot and sit down, you know, and so, you know, everybody's still meandering around. A fellow comes by and says, hey, can I pray for your foot? And, you know, I hadn't given any thought to this. I mean, it's a sprained ankle. People get sprained ankles all the time. I never asked the Lord once, hey, could you take away the pain? But since the day I did it, I had been at like an eight and a nine for pain all the time. You know, and I kept expecting it to go down. I was icing it. For the first time in my life, I actually obeyed some doctor's orders. And I was icing and keeping it elevated and staying off of it. And it just didn't get any better. And it hurt bad. And um, so this fellow says, hey, can I pray? I'm like, sure. He prayed, took off. Um, and as a, as the night progressed, the lady who was speaking every now and then she would get a prophetic word from somebody and she called this girl in the back and she came up front and the lady prayed over. And then as on her way back through, she saw me and she go be healed in Jesus name. And she didn't even stop. She just kept trucking, you know? And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. You know? And, uh, so as the night went on, you know, 
we listened to this lady speak, and her whole thing that she spoke about was being on a college campus in California, and just she knew the persecution she was going to be under because she she wanted to be active, not hiding her faith or anything else on campus, but she wanted to be out there and active. And she knew what she was going to be up against. And how she started going, you know, with an expectant that the Lord was going to move in some way. You know, she's like, hey, I know. Matter of fact, I'm not asking for 10 people to, to come to the Lord tonight to get saved. There's a room of 250. I'm expecting 250 to get saved, you know. And, and that was just her attitude, you know, to come expectantly to the throne. You know, to come expectantly before your father, before your Jesus, Savior of the world. And I just thought, you know what? Yeah, man, that's cool, you know. I was sitting next to my wife, and I said, you know, I said, if I, if I got healed tonight, I didn't bring my other shoe. I got to walk out in this big boot or with the use of the crutches. You know, I've seen these people on TV. They get healed. They drop the crutches, jump out, run around. I'm not even going to be able to walk back and rejoice and show other people, hey, you know, I got two shoes. Now I could get rid of the boot and the crutches. You know what I mean? And uh, so it just hit me, you know. I didn't come expecting, you know. And when she finished, we went into worship. And as we were worshiping, they, they created a, like a tunnel, two rows and they said, anybody who's involved in youth ministry, youth leader, please come up, walk through, and we're going to pray over you. As I walked through, several people prayed over and over and over. Some people would stop every now and then and pray for one particular person. And uh, some of them did pray, you know, over me. But the, as I got to the end, one fellow just dropped to his knees and began to pray over my foot, you know, and, and, and praying in tongues, you know, and almost weeping over my foot, you know, I was like, well, thanks. You know, in, in my head, I still have doubt. You know, I, I mean, I, I when I came, I came to hear a speaker, you know, and, 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 and worship, you know. And I got back to my seat, and we're all worshiping, and it dawns on me, hey, I really don't have any pain. So I'm like, all right. So I kind of put a little, with my big boot, you know, put a little weight on it. I'm like, hey. Not too bad. So, you know, take off the boot. So, you know, I'm like nobody's paying attention. You know, I'm kind of sitting in my own little chair, and I start doing the white guy two-step, you know, as I'm worshiping. And and I'm like, I think I got healed. I don't know which one, what prayer. That doesn't matter. You know, who cares? God did it. And I think when it hit me finally... I was like, you know what? I didn't come here seeking to be healed. I didn't come here looking for a gift. I came to the throne of God to worship. I came to hear the word of God preached. And now we're worshiping. You know? And it, you know, and as God continued to speak to me afterwards, you know, it was like I was reminded, you know, the word says, if you seek him wholeheartedly, with all your heart, whatever your translation is, you'll find me or I'll show myself to you. He promises. I went there that night seeking him wholeheartedly. Never once did it enter my head 
But you know what that did? I could really care less about my ankle. But that doubt that was planted in me, not to pray for people who have cancer and who are sick and who have failing marriages and who are stuck in addiction, that's gone. That doubt is stepped on. Because I know he loves me enough that even when I didn't care about my ankle, he healed me anyway. He got rid of the pain. I went back to my doctor. She checked me out, and she's like, you know, you're fine. And I said, well, do you want to look at the DVD? And, of course, Karen, being a woman of faith, she's like, why? God healed you, (laughs) you know? And I haven't had a problem with it ever since, you know? And so it's kind of become a cry for some of us, you know, that where are you at today? Are you going to bring your other shoe? Are you out of work? So you're bringing your other shoe. Are you expectant that God's going to deliver you a job? Or has so much doubt and are you so weary and so tired that you're saying, nah, it ain't going to happen. Or it'll happen when it's happened. Because I'm tired. You know, I don't want to pray about that anymore. Is there a broken relationship? Are you bringing your other shoe every time? Or are you just resigned to the fact you think, That it's never going to change. You know, Jeremiah 32, verse 27 says, Behold, I am Lord. I am God of all flesh. Is there nothing too hard for me? You got to bring your other shoe. He's real. And he's alive. And he wants to heal. Whether it's a hurt. Whether it's a relationship. Whether it's a marriage. Whether it's a death. He's all about this connection. Between brothers and sisters. And him. And the father's heart. Mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice. So if you're struggling, don't be afraid to ask for help. Somebody to help hold your arms up in prayer because he's real. So come expectantly to the throne. And bring your other shoe. He loves you. Amen. Thank you, Terry. That to us just gives us an idea of God's compassion for us, how God is able to do that which he says. Matthew 20, you don't have to turn there, but real quick, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Mark 1, 4, 41, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Jesus did a ministry of compassion, of care, of love. Not only bringing healing to their body, but bringing salvation. I want to take a moment um, after church today and just make available. Terry will be up here. I'll be up here as well. My dad will be up here. Tim will be up here. If you want prayer for anything, you want someone to pray with you, someone to pray for you, we will be up here to pray for you. We do believe God can do these things. We want to be a church where we bring the other shoe, right? We'll be kind of people of God who says, we bring the other shoe. 
Wouldn't it be amazing to think, hey, look, I went to this church in Highland, and God radically touched my life, did some unexplainable things in me. God was at work. I just want to close by saying that we are going to, starting September 8th, next week, we're going to start six weeks of prayer on Wednesday mornings from 6.30 to 7.30. And we're just going to take that one hour for six weeks on a Wednesday morning and just seek the Lord and pray about these things. I believe God wants to do more of this in our church, not only healing like Terry's foot, but salvations as well. That we would see God work a miracle of salvation in people's lives as well. And so I believe that foundation starts with with prayer. We come before the Lord and we just ask God to do that kind of work in our midst. And so starting September 8th for six weeks from 6.30 to 7.30, Wednesday mornings we'll be meeting here in the sanctuary calling upon the Lord. I also wanted to say this, that prayer is so important. We see this in Jesus' life, Jesus withdrawing to desolate places to pray and wait on God. It is our privilege to seek the Lord in prayer. And so often I think Jesus says we, we have not because we ask not. And so how often should we go before the Lord and just ask him? And sometimes we don't bring the other shoe because we don't even, we don't even ask. It doesn't even occur to us. I've been guilty of that so often. I turn to every place but God. So I believe prayer is a way in which it brings our attention back to God and say, yes, we can go back to God. God is at work. So I'm going to pray in closing, and Tim's going to lead us in communion. But if you are sick, if you do need prayer, we'll be up here after the service to pray for you and with you. And we do believe God can do these things. So, Lord, we thank you. God, first and foremost, for Jesus Christ, who came and gave his life to sacrifice for our sins. God, we know that that is the greatest miracle, that we've been brought from death to life. God, we also pray that as we minister as your people, God, that we would see miracles. God, that we would see your Spirit's power at work in our midst. God, that there is nothing too difficult for you. So we pray that we would be a people of God, empowered by your Spirit to do the things that you have been doing, and even more so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.